You're listening to Life with Impact. Join us as we continue to rediscover the heart of Jesus together. Well, hey, Impact. So thank you so much for joining us. This is week three of our series for our virtual service. The series is called Okay, What Now? We're going to close out the series this weekend with this message. But before I get into it, I hope you enjoyed worship. We're, you know, we're still learning and evolving. How do we do this well? And so we've just kind of gone to the more of the lyric video model with the music's prepared, the lyrics are there, is giving you a chance just to engage in worship. But we miss you indoors as worship is happening back indoors. You can don't feel any any pressure to join us indoors. We'll continue to do this. In fact, we there's no end date for this. I think we'll just keep continuing to do this. But so you know, in case you're just checking out or maybe you, 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 you joined us online for the first time in a long time, if you didn't know, we are meeting back indoors at our campus every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. We're gathering together to worship and to celebrate God, to celebrate his word together. So you're welcome to join us, but feel no pressure in these crazy times. Uh, I, I wanted to, a couple quick kind of announcement-y type things before I get into the messages. If you, if you missed the update on Mike, um, and how he's doing. I, I posted an update. We posted an update um, on social media this week. And so if you missed that, go check it out. Um, I, I want you to have the latest information on how to be praying for Mike and his family. Um, one of the things, if you haven't seen it yet, I, I just want to reiterate from that video, the family is just actually asking that we we do our best to restrain from reaching out via text and phone call. It's just pre- Mike is so well-loved that it's just creating a pressure on the family to try to respond and, and to feel bad not being able to get back to everybody. And Mike specifically just has a hard time texting right now. And so he watches texts stack up and it just kind of hurts his spirit to not be able to get you back. So the best way that we can love Mike and his family right now is just to pray for them and to let 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 our, our staff remind Mike how much we love him, how much we care about him. Feel free to drop some cards off or notes off to Mike. And, and as we go get to see Mike or go see the family, then we'll pass those on to you. So that's just a request from Amber. Um, and check that video out on, on, on our Facebook and Instagram so you know how to be praying specifically for Mike and Amber and Nicole and Chad in this really, really challenging season. So and then speaking of social media, it's just really, really great to be plugged in there because uh, this past weekend we went and saw a movie together. We're, we're sort of rethinking this idea of what we called pop-ups back in the day, but we, we wanted to start this idea of calling pop-ups this idea of we just do things together. And then as things started shutting down again, doing things together became less and less possible. And so we're revisiting that. And so on Monday, we shared that, hey, we're gonna, we, we rented out a movie theater and we went and saw uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. And we threw it out there on Monday, said, you want to join us? We'll be here. Uh, you can sign up here and 18 and 19 people showed up. So so keep an eye on our Facebook um, because that's where we're going to start to revisit pop-ups. Like our small groups still exist, but when we started thinking about relaunching small groups, we didn't want it to be just kind of forcing an old model. We want to have learned something, right, from what we've gone through. And that is that maybe we should rethink what community looks like outside of the lens of the things that we've already built to bring community. So we're going to start throwing things at the wall, opportunities for you to get to get plugged in and, and be involved, maybe things that you might naturally enjoy like hiking or movies or motorcycles or or all kinds. There's actually all kinds of a list of things that our, our leadership staff is going to be inviting you to be a part of. And then the things that we enjoy together, 
we'll create those ongoing events to sort of create some community. So keep an eye on Facebook as we continue to figure out how to stumble forward and be in the church in these crazy times. So speaking of crazy times, that's kind of the whole point of this series. So we called it Okay, What Now? Because it's the, even the, the comic, little graphic is this, these astronauts that land on the moon and they put their flag there and there's like, okay, what now? We did it. We accomplished it. We, we made it to the moon. And we, we did this series because after everything that we've done, after everything we've been through as a church, through the 56 weeks of everything in our toolbox being dumped out that we couldn't use as a church, what have we learned? Okay, what now? You know, I mentioned we're back open. What have we learned? Who are we? And, and Kevin, one of our teaching pastors, actually brought to the table this, the idea for this three-week series. And Kevin said the Holy Spirit laid a couple words on his heart that if we could get, align ourselves to, to God's heart for these three things, that it would be a great place for us to start as being the church. In week one, Kevin talked about forgiveness and how do we align ourselves to God's heart the way he's forgiven us and then the way that we extend that forgiveness to others as the church. Last week, Ronnie talked about the second word, which is mercy. Mercy is when we we don't get what we do deserve. He used the example of the cop who pulled him over at 18 years old, driving crazy on the freeway in his pastor's car. And Ronnie was trying to give an example of mercy, but all I heard Ronnie say was, never loan him my cars. So I know he was trying to give a good example, but I just heard, don't touch my stuff, Ronnie. But, but ultimately he was saying that when the cop pulled him over, he said, Ronnie, I can either give you a lecture or, or I can give you a ticket. And Ronnie obviously chose the lecture. The cop could have exercised the full extent of the law because that's what Ronnie deserved. He could have given him a ticket, but instead he showed mercy. And he didn't give him what he did deserve. Well, grace is different. It's actually it feels similar, but it's complete opposite. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is when we get something that we do not deserve. You know, think about it. One of the ways that we think about the word grace is maybe a grace period on a debt that we owe. You know, let's say that I... You owed, I owed you, we'll say I owed you, I owed you $500 and it's due on the first of the month and it's the second and I can't pay you. So I call you and I say, I'm sorry, I can't pay you. And you as the one who holds the debt could say, I'm going to give you a grace period. When can you pay by? Well, give me two weeks. Well, I'm going to give you no penalties, give you a grace period for these two weeks so that you can repay the $500 debt that you owe. There's a grace period, which means you're not, it's not costing you extra. It's just to say, I want to extend this to you because I hold the debt and you owe me, but I'm going to give you grace in the process of you repaying. Well, that's one way that we think of grace period. Well, God gives us this infinite, eternal grace period because he says you can never, ever, ever repay the debt. So I'm going to give you this forever long grace period where we'll be in good standing since you can't make the debt good. And ultimately, he sent Jesus that stamps the debt forgiven. Grace is a staggering thing. I mean, grace is... It's that conversation that you have with your spouse when you tell the truth and you expect everything to come unglued, everything to come unraveled, and you lose everything. And instead, you're met with grace. Grace can be a staggering thing. Grace is where we actually begin to rebuild. Grace is a spot where we start from, where things begin to change. Reimagining what it's like to start over begins many times on the platform of grace that we rebuild on when we don't deserve anything. We deserve to have lost everything. Grace meets us and it's on that platform that we begin to rebuild. We begin to rediscover. Grace is when we don't get, we get, I'm sorry, what we don't deserve. When you think about one of the ways that I think about 
a personal story where, where someone in my life got something that they quote unquote didn't deserve was, was about three years ago. My wife was looking for a new job within her company. And so she wanted to, to get into training and, and there was a training job that opened up and that training job had, had the, the minimum requirements. If you, if you ask me, my job or my wife is capable of doing every job in every way better than everybody else. And so she, in my book, was overqualified, but according to the minimum requirements for this job, you had to have four-year degree with a PhD. So a PhD with a four-year degree, uh, or, no, I'm sorry, PhD with four years of experience, or a master's with six years of experience, or a bachelor's with four years of experience. And my wife, uh, she dropped out of college at the age of 20 because she was marrying me, and I guaranteed her that I'd be a millionaire rock star. That, that part didn't work out so well. And so my wife doesn't have a college degree at all. And they gave her a job where her counterpart is an ex-behavioral analysis for, for the CIA. So my wife was given a job that on paper she didn't deserve. She wasn't qualified for. She was given an amazing job, an amazing opportunity that she wasn't, at the time, qualified for. When we get what we don't deserve, it's a beautiful thing. And then to give you a little bit of context for where she's at now, just to bring it up to speed. So in major jobs, after COVID, like the, the they, her company cut like 85% of her team. A, 20, a team of 26 is down to a team of three. This is a Fortune 500 global company and she's on the training side of it. And so they cut her team from 26 down to three. So the morale's in the toilet, the job load is unsustainable and she just really is having a hard time imagining staying where she's at. So when you are not sure if you're gonna stay where you're at, what do you do? You revisit your resume. And a resume is where you go back to what am I qualified for? If you think about it, grace meets us at that threshold where we realize that this is what we can do. This is what we do have to offer. This is what we can accomplish. And then grace meets us right at that threshold. And it says, once you know where you, your ability, what you can do ends, that's where grace meets us. And sometimes a resume has a way of telling us what we are cap what do we deserve? It's when we say to this company that look at this, I have accomplished this. I can do this job. Look what I've accomplished. Look, I meet your minimum requirements. And so we're talking about resumes and resumes are kind of the opposite of grace. And so before we dig into a message about grace, and I'm really, really stoked to talk to you about some of the things I've learned as I've kind of dug into this idea of grace. I want to, I want to look at resumes because resumes are what determines if we're qualified if we have what it takes to be given positions. And God gave a handful of people positions that on, res on paper, on their resume, they weren't qualified for. Like my wife's job, God gave some people some positions that on paper they weren't qualified for. And enter the reality of grace, just to run through those really quickly, David, Ronnie mentioned David last weekend. King David, Jesus is in the lineage of King David. In fact, God called David a man after his own heart. The only person in scripture for God to say, this is a man after my own heart. God gave him a position, an identity that on paper he was not qualified for. Ronnie reminded us last week that David was on his roof and looked across the roof and there's a, a, a hot woman taking a, a bath and he could see her and he called for her, had her come to his king, his his castle, his bedroom, had sex with her and then he got her pregnant, but she was married and so what David did after that was in order to cover it up. David, who was a king that should have been at battle with his army, instead he was here sleeping with another man's wife. And he goes and he tells the leader of this of the army to put 
her husband, his name was Uriah, at the front lines of that battle so that he would be killed in round one of the next battle. And he was. So David, an adulterer and a murderer, was given a position as king and the title of a man after God's own heart. David's resume didn't match up to the position that God gave him. I think about Moses. Moses, maybe you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt. Moses, Moses knew he wasn't qualified. And God, in fact, God said, Moses, I want you to go get my people out of Egyptian slavery. And Moses said, who am I? I'm not qualified for that. Moses knew. And I, maybe it's like you. You're like, I can't do this job, God. I, I'm not qualified for this job. I've said that in recent months. I can't do this, God. Who am I? And Moses, if you want to know a little bit more about Moses, when God called him, and Moses' rearview mirror was the fact that he saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, and that ticked him off. So Moses goes to the Egyptian, beats that guy up, kills him, and buries him in the sand. And yet God says, I want you to go get my people. Moses... If you know the Ten Commandments, right? God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Moses is etching these things down, and here's the Ten Commandments that have lasted for generations after generation. This is what God says. Tell my people this is the standard I want them to live by. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and he's in his anger, because if you read much about the life of Moses, he had a serious anger management issue. So Moses is holding the Ten Commandments, looks down at his people, the people of Israel who are doing things that he didn't like, and he throws the tablets down and crushes them. And Moses, and that wasn't the only time that Moses had a serious anger management problem. He breaks the Ten Commandments. He gets so ticked off, he goes and beats the guy up, kills him, buries him in the sand. And yet God says, I want to give you a position that your resume doesn't qualify you for. This is a crazy one. Paul, like Paul's wrote, wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. With the majority of the New Testament, but if you know the story of Paul, before his name was Paul, his name was Saul, and Saul's nine to five was a killer of Christians. In fact, he was on the way to go kill some Christians when God met him on a road and said, I wanna call you to tell the story of Jesus. And if I can only imagine, Paul's like, real quick, I don't mean to doubt you, God, but you do know what I do for a living. I kill Christians, and God says, I know. I know your story. I know you, your story should disqualify you, but I'm going to give you a new name and your new name is Paul. And you're gonna write the majority of the New Testament, many of the verses of which I'll read to you today was a Christian killer turned leader of the, the church. Resumes in God's, in God's economy, resumes are important, right? But they don't tell the entire story because grace meets us at the end of what our resume can do and tells us that we can be more than what our resume says that we're qualified for. In fact, I think about, I, I was thinking through grace. If grace does everything, does that mean that we are off the hook? And I was praying about this and this, there's, there's a, there's a, in fact, Joe, put this up there because I want people to have the chance to write this down. It's not true that grace doesn't expect anything. It's just that grace doesn't require anything. It's not true that grace doesn't expect anything. It's just that grace doesn't require anything. So grace, for you to get grace, when Moses and, and, and Saul turned Paul and David, when they were given grace, they did nothing to earn it, but their lives shifted to recognize that once I've given grace that did nothing for me to, I didn't have to do anything to get it. It didn't require anything. But once you are given radical grace, grace does expect something. Imagine back to the analogy of 
You go and you tell your spouse, you come clean on something and you receive grace. There's an expectation once you are given grace that you live differently, that you don't make the same choices that you made before. Grace doesn't require anything, but grace expects everything. I think uh, talking about resumes, I, I got to imagine what if me and you, what if the Bible was being written today? Like right now, there's people that are etching out the Bible that's going to last in 2,000 years from now. There's a pastor that's in 4021. There's a pastor that's reading our story. So you and me, instead of King David, it's Dustin. And instead of, of Moses' story, it's your story. And instead of Saul and all of the things that he had done, I'm it's someone else in your household. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a king in 4021 that's telling the story of you and I at his church. And it's, so obviously it's going to, I just picture the Jetsons. So it's the church. We're all on hovercrafts and we're going in through vacuums, uh, vacuum systems to get inside. There's a robot that's got a little duster cleaning around the church pews and all that kind of stuff. So it's, we're, it's 4021's Jetson era church. And there's a pastor and he's reading our stories and he's talking about our resumes I think there's two things that I, he would say about how grace meets us in the middle of our stories and that our resume, remember resumes are what we do. Grace is what God does. But our resumes are what we do. And he would, this pastor in 4021 would read our stories and he would say two things about our resumes. And first thing he would say is that resumes are important. He would say resumes are important. And maybe you're saying, well, Dustin, if we're talking about grace, this is the message about grace, you're doing a crappy job talking about grace because you just said that resumes are important, but that's the part that we do, not the part that God does. So stick with me because the guy I told you about, Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament in Romans, he knows us probably because he knew himself. And so in the book of Romans, Paul says in the end of verse 5, chapter 20, so so I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, I'm going to read the last couple of verses of of the chapter five and then into chapter six, Romans five, verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. Verse 21, just, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is saying the law was given to expose the fact that we can't get it right enough. And so when we broke the law, God met us in his grace. And so the more we broke the law, the more we realized we needed grace. And so when we would sin because we couldn't meet the law, grace would then meet us in that more and more sin, more and more grace. But Paul, he knows me and he knows you, but he knows how we like to take advantage of things, of good, good things that are given to us. And so in chapter six, verse one, Paul says, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? He says, of course not. Since we've all died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Our resumes are important because once we meet grace, what are we doing after that? Grace doesn't mean that we're disqualified from doing anything good. But when we meet grace, it should change the kinds of things that we're adding to our resume. What are we doing once we get God's grace? Thankfully, Saul didn't continue to kill Christians. As far as we know, David didn't continue to sleep with people that and steal people's wives and, and kill people. As far as we know, Moses didn't go murder people and bury them in the sand. Grace meets you right where you are, but it, it changes the expectation of what we add to our resume. In fact, God is so good that he gives us a grace that we don't deserve, a grace that we cannot earn. And then he says, I'm going to invite you through grace 
into an eternity in heaven. And then once you're there, I'm going to give you the opportunity to lay up rewards that I'll give you in a place that you don't even belong. All throughout the New Testament, I'm going to read these quickly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. We're invited to a place we don't belong through the grace of Jesus Christ. And then we're given a reward once we get there based on what we do after we receive grace. In 1 Corinthians 3, 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. The things that mean you do, if they last, because they're based on the foundation of Christ and the foundation of appointing people to Jesus Christ, somehow when we get to heaven, the work that we did that just honors the grace that we were given also earns us a reward in heaven. In James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which is promised to those who love God. We're given a crown of life just for being faithful in the midst of persecution. God says, of course you're faithful. I gave you a grace that's so good that gives you access to a kingdom and a victory and a peace and a hope that you don't deserve. And then God says, I'm so good that I'm going to not only give you that grace, I'm going to then reward you for just staying faithful to do the work of pointing others towards that grace. And lastly, in 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd, which is Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's 1 Peter 5, 4. God is so good that when he gives us grace, he invites us into a story to begin to add things to our resume that points other people to the goodness of that grace. And in Revelation chapter 4, if you want to write it down later, read it later. It's a, a beautiful glimpse into heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, it says that the elders, there's these crowns that were earned for work that was done here. And the Bible gives this beautiful picture of laying those crowns at the feet of Jesus. Laying those crowns at the throne of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be crownless when I get there. I don't want to be standing on the sidelines while those that have that have changed their resume to begin to add things to it that honored the gift of grace. I don't want to be standing on the sidelines empty-handed. I want to be I want to have a backpack and a wheelbarrow and a uh, whatever I whatever I can whatever crowns are available, I want to Earn those crowns not to show off, but to lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, I don't deserve these. I don't even deserve to be here. And I am through the lens of grace. Here's the crowns that you deserve. And we are given, we're given those crowns based on our response to the grace that we were given. What we do, church, matters. And you say, man, Dustin, this, this, this message of grace sounds more like a message about doing. That sounds like religion. Well, let me take you to verse or the second point. In the year 4021, when a pastor is talking about our story, and he, he says to his congregation that if you look at the lives of Dustin, what I'm hoping he would be reading is that when Dustin tasted grace, that he added things to his resume, like Moses and like David and like, like Saul, that honored that gift, and he added things to his resume because that was important. And then that pastor would, would say the second point is that resumes are irrelevant. I know it's the this is the worst message, worst message I've ever preached. Completely contradicts itself. Number one, resumes are so important. Number two, resumes are irrelevant. You're like, man, Dustin, you got to be the worst preacher that I've ever listened to in the history of the world. You're making no sense. Isn't that grace? Isn't that the story of grace? Makes no sense. We did this. Deserve to be cut off. 
and grace meets us and gives us what we don't deserve. Grace makes no sin. It's overwhelming. It's reckless. Why do we sing that song, the reckless love of God? Because reckless means without regard for how it could affect God, without regard for the fact that it would cost Jesus his life, he still did it recklessly because grace makes no sense. And likewise, what we do is irrelevant. Let me let me make heads and tails of that. Remember that guy I told you, Paul, that, that was killing Christians? He also wrote in Philippians, and it says in Philippians chapter 3, Verse three, I want to read a few passages of the scripture. This is, this, is, this is Paul going over his resume. He's got a good resume. Post killing Christians, he decided to add a bunch of stuff to his resume because that was important to him. And here's how he reflects on that near the end of his life. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Listen to that. He says, Yo, it's not about what you do, but if you we, you want to talk about what people did, I could have confidence in that. He says, although I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I love it. He's like throwing down. He goes on to say, I was circumcised when I was only eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He says, I was so zealous to follow that law that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He says, I, anyone's got a good resume, I got a good resume. Resumes, remember, all these things important. Verse 7, it's, a, it's irrelevant. He says, I, was, I once thought that these things are valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Resumes are irrelevant. He doesn't say here that I regret doing those things. Oh, can you imagine being able to stand near the end of your life proud of the decisions that you made? But he says, at the end of my life, those things were important. But compared to the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, they are irrelevant. He, in essence, he's saying, what else could I have done? Here's the thing with resumes. Here's the important thing about resumes. There's only one word that needs to be on your resume. One word that's stamped on your resume. Whether it's full or whether it's empty, you need the stamp that says Jesus. You need a stamp that says Jesus because Jesus changes the entire trajectory of what your resume qualifies you for. No matter what you put on that resume, it's irrelevant until it's stamped with the name of Jesus. Then that resume becomes relevant. But can I tell you something? Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. You're a longtime member of the church. Can I just say you and I, we don't get to do the stamping. We don't get to determine who's, who is qualified. We're not the ones reading over resumes, determining who's living faithful and who's not, and who's qualified for ministry and who's not, who can do this and who can do that, or tell them you shouldn't do this. We don't stamp resumes, friends. We are not the resume stampers. Jesus Christ is the resume stamper, and he puts his name on the resume. And no matter what else is there, that resume becomes enough. And it's not our job to do any hiring or firing for the kingdom of God. It's just our point. It's just our desire to point people to the person of Jesus so that he can stamp the once and for all 
glorious grace of himself on each and every resume. There's two types of resume watchers, two types of resume writers watching this. And number one, it's the resume writer that's just got 10,000 pages. You know, a resume is only supposed to be one page, but maybe you're you're that person. You're just go, 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 go. You're writing. You're saying, yes, yes, I'll do that ministry. Yes, I'll lead that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just add so much. And there's nothing wrong with adding so much. You add all that you want to add. Maybe you're the kind of person that's just doing your best to add, 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 add. Do, 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 do. I think I can. I think I can. I will. I will. You got a million pages with a million things. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but there's some of us that are just killing ourselves. Trying to add to that resume, trying to be good enough. Man, just trying to do enough so that God will say, you're good enough. And then there's another resume writer that's watching this that looking around the room when you come into church or, or watching the social media with here with things that are going on at the church and realizing that, oh, you don't have nearly, nearly as much on your resume as somebody else. You've, you've got like, you're starting the first line. It's just embarrassing. I don't, I don't have much on this resume that I can offer. I think what's interesting about the reality of grace and whatever is on your resume, Joe, throw this, this first graphic up here. See, like, like, like sin and mistakes, and horrible things that we've done and bad choices, things that are in our past, addictions, man, things that we know we wish we could let go of, all of those things, they equal shame on you shame on you. And if you're like me, you deserve shame. Those things that are in our rearview mirror, those things that we're going through right now, that thing we did earlier today, they scream shame on you. But grace, friends, grace says shame off of you. It doesn't matter what's on that resume, good or bad, full of good things or full of mistakes. 10,000 pages of things that you've done to point people to the church, or not even the first word because you don't even know what you believe. Grace meets you right there and pulls every ounce of shame off of you, no matter what kind of resume you're writer that you are. Grace can meet you right where you are. And then this, this next graphic is a graphic that says, religion says, go, do, 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 do. Religion says, keep going, do, 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 do. And grace says done. Grace says done. You know, think about these hands, maybe grace is right here, right? Grace is right here. These, these, these two hands stretching towards grace. And Joe, as you throw that graphic up, I want you to see this. Like religion keeps grace out of arm's reach because it says I'm good enough or I think I can. I've got this. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep saying yes. I'll kill myself if I have to. I will do it. I will be good enough. And grace is always out of arm's reach because you haven't realized that just grace meets at the threshold of what you realize that you can no longer do, but you're still trying to prove what you can do instead of letting grace meet you right where you are and not to be right there and to show you that not being able to do is just fine because that's where grace begins. Or on the other side of that, there's shame that says, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. Grace can never meet me. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to belong. Well, first, can I say, friend, you do. You can belong. You do belong. And we want you here. And shame and religion, they're exercised so differently. One looks polished and perfected and one looks dirty and gnarly and ugly, but yet neither of them ever touch grace because they won't relent on the fact that it has nothing to do with you. 
our resumes are irrelevant until we meet grace. And then grace shows us that what we do from there on out is forever changed because of the grace that we've been given. And now the things that we do aren't through the lens of earning, it's through the lens of saying, thank you. It's through the lens of saying, you've given me a gift of heaven, a hope that is eternal and secure. And grace says that I give you that for free. And then grace says, and now I'm going to invite you to change the habits of your life, to, to do the kinds of things, to reap rewards in heaven that we can say thank you to the feet of Jesus for what he's done for you and me. And so I just invite you, I'll pray a prayer. And I just, I, I'd invite you, if right now you're just kind of wrestling through, man, I, I really want to re-engage this idea of, Maybe, maybe maybe that person that is recognizing right now that you have it's been so about doing for you, then you are exhausted. You're spiritually just exhausted from trying to do, do, do. And right now the Holy Spirit is meeting you like a good dad, wrapping his arms around you and saying, my child, my son, my daughter, stop trying and just meet, meet that threshold that gives up on trying and leans into the fact that grace will meet you right there and you're good enough, right? Where you are, you just maybe that you're that person that's just sick of trying and you want to just fall into the arms of grace once again. Maybe for the first time, for the first real time, maybe for the hundredth time, you just needed that moment to stop and to fall into the arms of grace and quit trying so hard. And maybe you're on the other side of it, and I remember my first time that I realized that I had never really crossed the threshold into walking with Christ. I had never crossed that line of faith through grace accepting that grace and walk begin walking with Jesus and maybe for you whatever your life looks like man whatever your life has in the rearview mirror grace can meet you there Paul was a Christian murderer actually every three every every one of the three people that I mentioned that God gave radical radical stories to radical positions that they didn't deserve to murderers man so I promise you that God can meet you right in the middle of whatever yours is. You destroyed your family, you ruined your reputation, or maybe you just, you're just a good dude. You're just a great person. You're a great woman. You're a great friend. You're a great mom. You're a great dad or a great daughter. You don't have to be ruined to taste the goodness of grace, but we can, right where we are, having never tasted grace before, we can taste it today for the first time. And I'd invite you to do that. And if you want to do that, I encourage you to reach out to us. Shoot us an email at engage at impact.cc and say, man, I'd love to know more. I'd love to know more about what it looks like to, to know Jesus. And someone from our staff would love to call you, take you to lunch, take you to grab a coffee, just meet up with you, make have a phone call with you, just let you know we're praying for you, pray over the phone with you. We'd love to do that. Leave a comment on this YouTube video and say, hey, somebody reach out to me. And we will. So whichever one of those you are, let me pray. Let me pray that grace would meet you right where you are, but for that to happen, we gotta hit the threshold of where we stop trying to do it on our own and, and we just fall into the arms of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. And thank you that uh, this is a weird way to be doing church through the lens of, a, of an iPhone. And, but I thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit's moving through TV screens right now through iPhones and through other mobile phones, through Spotify and podcasts. 
The Holy Spirit is meeting people and inviting them into the storyline of grace. God, thank you. Man, the first thing you did was give us the law. And as, as Romans chapter 5 said, the law just showed us that we couldn't do it. And so we just throw our hands in the air and say, God, we can't do it. And what's crazy is you're not going, oh, really? You're going, I know. I never meant for you to do it. I meant and hoped that you would just stop trying and let me meet you there with my grace and say to you, even though you can't do it, that's okay. So God, I pray for every man or woman or kid that's watching to fall into the arms of grace for the hundredth time, the millionth time, or the first time. We want to be people. We want to be a church. It's all about just demonstrating the grace of God. I know that even this series was supposed to be about us showing grace as a church. And you were just so clear to me. How can we show grace? How can we give grace if we haven't first realized the true cost of the grace that we've been given? Because once we realize the depth and width of the grace that we've been given, man, giving grace is just a, it's a, it's a reaction. It's a response. It's, it's a reflex. So God, may we lean deeper and deeper into the grace that you've given us, that it wouldn't hit us like a tidal wave even in this moment. Thank you for the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that is demonstrated in the gift of Jesus and the grace that says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Right? Not only give you a grace period, I'm going to stamp your debt paid in full through the person of Jesus. Thank you. Pray you do something through your word, do something through our church, God. May our little church do great things in this city. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us this week on Life with Impact. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Life with Impact. And to watch the full virtual service, make sure to check us out on YouTube at Impact CC. Have a great week.